Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. How do you know if you've learned something? And considering that question, what's the difference between remembering versus learning? Now truly, it's an important question. How do you know if you've truly learned something? And then there's the associated and just as important question, why should we learn new things in the first place? These are questions I've pondered most of my life as an educator, and I believe they are no less relevant when we consider how and what we learn about God. Because we do learn about God. As followers of Jesus, we learn more and more about the nature and character of God as we grow our faith. And if we're lucky, we get good teachers who help us in that journey. And over time, we learn. My own answer to that question, how do we know if we've learned something and why should we learn new stuff anyway, is wrapped up in setting oneself up to be successful in life. We learn new things so that we can be successful. Well, whatever successful means in the context that we're in. Learning new things becomes critically important when we meet new or novel situations. If our situation doesn't change and we are pretty good at sorting things out in that situation, then then maybe we don't need to learn new stuff. But if our situation changes, then learning becomes vitally important. Learning about God is just the same. When, When we meet Jesus, our situation changes. And as we grow in our faith, our situation continues to change. And over time, we learn more and more about God and what it means to live in relationship with him. If at this stage you are having flashbacks and cold sweats about learning at school, don't panic. Learning with God is way better than school because, well, God is in the frame. Not only do we learn about God over time, we learn with God. He actively wants us to thrive and do well in life, and he gives us a whole bunch of teaching to help us get there, and our own personal tutor in the form of the Holy Spirit. On the topic of good teaching and learning um, so that we can thrive in life, Brian recently taught a series on the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. He delved into the nature and character of God through the boundaries that God sets for us to live within and what this means for us in the 21st century. That teaching is summed up in Brian's book titled Boundaries. and It's an excellent read, by the way, and no, I don't get a cut from saying that. What I want to speak about today, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5, has this uh, Ten Commandments in the background. The giving of the Ten Commandments is recorded in Exodus 20, and they were given to Moses as the Israelites moved out of Egypt. The story follows the exploits of the Israelites, and, well, long story short, after the issue of disobediences are dealt with through years of wandering in the wilderness of Sinai, Moses again addresses this fundamental teaching in the book of Deuteronomy. This time, he is an old man and he stands before the people of Israel and he sets about teaching a new generation. And it's this teaching to a new generation that I want to focus on. The book of Deuteronomy, the second or deutero iteration of the law or nomos, so there's the word Deuteronomy, was spoken by Moses as the people of Israel were about to enter the land of Canaan. Moses speaks to a a new generation of God followers. 
He speaks to a generation that were not present at the first telling of the law, the Ten Commandments. And that generation had grown up and passed away. And now there's a whole new generation hearing the instructions of God being delivered as they prepare to go into the land that God had promised their forefathers. This new generation, like us perhaps, are not eyewitnesses to the great miracles of God. In the Israelite context, these people were not present when God took them out of the land of Egypt or through the Red Sea or or when they're not witnesses to the provision of food and water for years in the wilderness of Sinai. This, This new generation only knows these events as stories. Moses sets out not only to give the people the law, but to teach the people the law. And there's a difference. You may ask, well, what is that difference? What is the difference between giving people information and teaching them? Well, this draws back to my opening questions. What does it actually mean to learn something? Learning is fundamentally about sense-making, with the proof of that sense-making shown through people putting the learning into action. And, And most importantly, successful action in situations that people haven't encountered before. Moses speaks to a community of people that are God followers, that are learning about the nature and character of their God and how to live successfully in relationship with him. Well, thankfully for us, Moses' sermons are recorded so that we too, as a a new generation of God followers, may learn about God's nature and character and how to live successfully in relationship with him. In Moses' teaching in Deuteronomy, he again speaks of how to be successful in our covenantal relationship with God. Moses begins his teaching by setting a framework by which the rest can be understood. He he begins by introducing the author of the relationship that's being described, and he frames all that comes after that in terms of the development of a relationship. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 6, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Moses makes sure the people understand who's being talked about. It's God, Yahweh, the I am, the God who has been engaged in their lives through through their ancestors for generations. Because of the personal history with him, there's no doubt about who he's talking about. Then secondly, Moses gives a reason why the people should pay attention and to not drop off during the sermon. Good teachers do this. Good teachers at school begin lessons with, well, today we are learning this because. And hopefully the answer to because is better than so you can just pass the test. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 33, it says, Walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. God actually wants to bless us and have us thrive in life. I love the picture of prospering and prolonging days. Of course, this is said in terms of the relationship with God. It's not a simple community chest card to prosper people economically. It's tempting to see this verse from a Western capitalist view and think it's just all about money. There are far more important ways to prosper. In the middle of this, Moses reiterates the boundaries that God places around our relationship, the Ten Commandments. But then again, as a great teacher, Moses sums it all up. It's a bit like giving the crib notes at the end of the course. 
So if you're dropped off in the midst of the detail, this is the bit to wake up for. Or another way of seeing it is that this is the take-home message at the end. This is the bit you write down and hope it's in the test at the end. The cool bit is that Moses keeps his framework the same as when he started. He sums it all up again in a relational way, highlighting at the end exactly what he highlighted at the beginning, that it's all about relationship. Even though the middle bit, the Ten Commandments, that comes between these two statements is all about what seems to be rules and regulations, it really is, in the big picture, all about relationship. He sums it all up by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. This piece of text sums up the relationship that God sets up with those that follow him. Moses speaks to the people of Israel to teach them about the nature and character of God, God's relationship with them, and then what to do given his, this understanding of God's nature. The teaching that Moses brings is to help the people be successful in their relationship with God, particularly in their new situation. The Israelites stand at a door. They're about to go from being a, a tribal nomadic people who have been wandering and living in tents for a generation to a people who have their own land where they will live in towns and cities and will go on to develop a sense of being one nation. They will soon find themselves in a new and novel situation. The text, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, in Hebrew is known as the Shema. Here's my attempt in Hebrew. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. I apologize for uh, Hebrew speakers. It is to this day the centerpiece of Jewish daily morning and evening prayer services and is an affirmation of God's singularity and kingship and it stands as an invitation to those who follow him to unequivocal worship. So as Moses teaches this new generation of God followers, what can we as a new generation of God followers also learn about the nature and character of God and the relationship that God desires to have with us? The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. That statement is the central statement of the passage. So let's start there. It comes with instructions that come before and after. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one is a creedal statement. It's a, it's a foundation of our belief. The Lord, Yahweh, I am, the God who chose Abraham to be the beginning of his nation of people. The God who convinced Pharaoh to let the Israelites leave Egypt. The God who parted the Red Sea. The God who fed the Israelites in the desert is our God. He is one with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. For the Israelites, Moses is saying that the God of their fathers is still the same and he is their God now. And for us, the statement affirms that the God we read about in the Old Testament is the same God as we read about embodied in the person of Jesus in the New Testament. This statement speaks about the nature and character of God and his desire to be in relationship with those that follow him. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it says in Hebrews 13.8. The second idea in this statement is that God, the God of the Israelites, is 
the God, the one and only God, the God above all gods. In the theistic and polytheistic world of the ancient Near East, all, all societies acknowledged and allied themselves with gods. This became obvious in the story of Moses when he went up onto Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. He, he comes down to find that in his absence, the people have made a golden calf and that they're worshipping it. Well, that act goes down like a cold cup of custard. It seems in the culture of the time and, and maybe in human nature, people just needed to have a God that they could call on for protection and favour and to put their trust in. In the absence of any known God, you just needed to pick one. So picking anyone was better than having none. In our century and culture, here in the Western capitalist world, we don't tend to have gods present in our society, do we? You can compare that, of course, when you step off a plane. Do you, do you remember doing that? <laughs> in, say, Bangkok or Mumbai or Kathmandu. There are a variety of gods to be worshipped there, and, and they still play a large part in people's protection, favour and trust. In our world, maybe it's the banks that play that role. Where do we look for our protection, our security and our trust if we don't know God? The word one in English, as in the Lord is one, in Hebrew is the word ihad. It has meanings of one, but also of alone. This part of the meaning draws people to understand that God calls his followers to have an undivided allegiance to him. In the relationship, he calls us to, there is no room for having others that take the same place as God. So for us in the 21st century, as a new generation of God followers, what does this mean? Jesus, as part of the Trinity, is God. His nature and character are in keeping with the God we read about in Deuteronomy, which is being taught by Moses. The Jesus whom we have relationship with today is the same Jesus that walked on water, turned water into wine, and, and healed the sick. As we read and study about Jesus, we get to know his nature and character better. And in fact, we get to know the nature and character of God the Father better as well. Well, secondly, Jesus desires a relationship with us that is like it is expressed in Deuteronomy, undivided. There is no one or anything else that rivals that relationship. If our human nature is like that of the early Israelites, do we run the risk of finding other things to take Jesus' place when he's absent? What do we craft to fill that space, just like the Israelites did with the golden calf? And if we do learn to recognize what these things are, how do we change so that we can be more successful in our relationship with God, having Jesus as the center? The second part of the text instructs us to love the Lord in all we are and all we do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. As we pick up this idea, we can follow the idea that God is one, the same throughout time. Jesus was asked by a, a Pharisee, a lawyer, they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In Matthew 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
The words used by Jesus here change slightly from those in Deuteronomy, and I suspect that's due to the audience. Jesus is talking to a population that's highly influenced by Greek thought, and therefore the specific mention on the mind comes in. Greeks were very much infatuated with philosophy and the power of thought in the mind. The meaning is the same, though. Love God with all that you are. In essence, this statement in Deuteronomy, and again in Matthew, is a recasting and a positive response to the command to have no other gods before me. To have no other gods before God means, therefore, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We are called to love God in this holistic, all-encompassing way, with no parts of our life separated and left out. Why? Because in doing this, we honour the covenantal relationship he has called us into, and so that we may live a full and successful life in him. This therefore begs the question, do I love God in all aspects of my life? In my relationships? In my work life? In my finances? in my choice of house and how I use it. Jesus goes a little further in fleshing out the meaning for us through, through this by linking this to the passage that occurs in Leviticus 19 about loving one's neighbor as oneself. Jesus goes on to say, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is in effect saying, to know God is to live out God's will in the world. It's, it's an easy thing to say, but potentially far more complex to do. Where do we draw the line in terms of what's everyday life, and then how do we show our love for God in our actions? I, I, I'm personally sometimes conflicted in my own dealings with people. At times, I'm drawn to walk two miles with people when they just ask for one, as Jesus asked, or... When I'm asked for a shirt, I'm happy to give my coat as well. But the picture of being the ever-giving, ever-loving servant of Jesus is pretty easy to understand. But then sometimes I'm reminded of Jesus' anger in the temple at the money changes. To love the Lord with all that you are, to live out God's will in this world, is sometimes about being staunch and not just going with the flow and bending and giving. It's about having backbone and resisting the world. Well, it's all good when I'm literally asked to go a second mile, or if I see money changes in the church, I know what to do about that. But, but what about novel situations, situations that don't specifically get mentioned in Scripture? So how do you deal with, for example, in New Zealand and trying to get a refund in a trip that you had booked? Or is it okay to want to upgrade your car to the next model, even though there's really nothing technically wrong with the one that you have? How do we love the Lord with all that we are in these things, the everyday things of life? Well, Martin Luther expressed it like this. He said, This means not that we should love nothing else, since everything God has made is very good and should be loved, but that in love nothing should be made equal to or put ahead of God and the things that are of God and that the love of all things is to be pressed towards fulfilling the love of God. Hmm. But the first instruction given in the text is to hear, O Israel. 
This statement sets the scene for the next two parts and actually tells the people what to do with the understanding that they are being taught. The word used in English is the word hear, but in Hebrew, as I said before, it's shema. So what does it mean to hear in the way this text uses the word? Well, to answer this, we go back to the beginning and the question about what does it mean to learn? The meaning in Hebrew is richer than is expressed in the simple English word to hear. In the 20th century, we, we certainly are well educated. We have been told a lot of information throughout our lives, and I'm, I'm sure we've even remembered some of it along the way. If we think about our schooling, we have been taught language, the arts, science, social sciences, technology, mathematics. These are all part of a modern education curriculum. Being instructed in all of these is a part of being literate in a civil society. But just remembering or knowing stuff is not helpful. Knowing stuff can just be knowing stuff. Great if you're on who wants to be a millionaire, but it can often be separated from how we actually do life. We may know all about bacteria and viruses and how they are spread, and we have pretty much all done year 10 science or the fourth form, but we just go about life imagining that they don't have any bearing on our everyday lives. This has been pretty obvious as I've uh, observed public behaviour throughout the COVID-19 response. So there's a difference in just hearing something and even knowing something and what it means to have learned something. If we learn something, we use the new knowledge or ability to direct our behaviours, which is particularly useful in new situations that we've uh, not encountered before. In education, there's a term that describes the amalgamation of not only knowing stuff, but being willing and knowing when and how to act on what you know. It's called action competence. Action competence is the measure of a person's capacity or critically selecting and conducting the appropriate actions from amongst all possible actions in a given situation. So for the Israelites and for us, the instruction to hear is more than just to listen and to take on board new information. The instruction to hear can be understood as to become action competent. To hear in this context means to learn and to put into practice at the appropriate time. James, when writing to the Jewish Christians in the first century, put it like this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and, and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Well, so actually, James defined the concept of action competence around 2,000 years ago. Well, don't tell the 20th century education philosophers that. The idea of putting into practice the learning we have about God is how Moses sums up his teaching on the relationship that God calls us to in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Moses teaches this to the God followers of his time, a new generation needing to learn about the nature and character of God. His teaching is just as relevant for us today as it was then. It is just as relevant for our generation of God followers as it was for the early Israelites. He calls us to not only listen to God's word, 
but to learn from them and to make meaning from them about what it is to love the Lord with all that we are and to live that out in the everyday things of life. Moses challenges us to take the message of God's love and his invitation to live in relationship with him and to set our lives within that framework, within those boundaries, and to succeed as God speaks into our lives. Moses challenges us to hold God as the most important thing in our lives, to cherish our relationship with him more than any of the things that we have around us that we enjoy. Moreover, to recognize that all the things we value in life are actually from him anyway. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Put another way, learn and put into practice, you God followers, the Lord our God is the only true God. All other gods come under him and he is our God, the one who has chosen to be in relationship with us and has blessed us down through the ages time and time again. Love him with all that you are, keeping everything else that we enjoy in the context that he has provided it for us to enjoy. Don't let those things take the focus off him. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz. Join us again next week at Central Speaks. <laughs>